Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Welcome back to all my amazing followers. I'm so excited to have you with me again. Today's guest is Uncle Zoe, who is known in the gun community, but he's become a good friend. And whether the subject is guns, ammunition, training, accessories, anything that a first-time or long-time gun owner would benefit from having a conversation with or listening to. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope you take away or learn something. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to him because he is a wealth of of knowledge and information. So without further ado, I introduce to you Uncle Zoe. I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself a little bit um, for the audience, for anybody that doesn't know who you are. But my goal with today's episode, I'd really like to walk through, I, I mean, let's see. In the last month, there were, I think there were 4 million, almost almost 4.7 million background checks in the last month, which is the most ever recorded. Yes. And that doesn't always mean that that's first-time gun buyers. That doesn't mean that that's not duplicates, where they've bought multiple weapons, which means they have to go through multiple background checks. But sure. it still means that it's a very large number of gun purchases. So I'm super excited about that for our country, but a lot of these people are brand new to gun ownership. And I think there are still people who are in the process that are thinking, okay, well, you know, what should I get a gun for? What kind of gun should I get? Let's say I'm not knowledgeable and I am somebody who has lots of questions about that process. I'd like for you to be my expert and answer all those questions, but talk to everybody real fast about you and kind of some of your background and what expertise you have. So my background and expertise, uh, I have a hard time calling myself an expert in anything when it comes to firearms, just because I've been, I'm a, at best I'm an advanced student, let's put it that way. Um, I don't have a background in law enforcement. I don't have a background in uh, military. Uh, frankly, I didn't grow up with guns. If you you know really talk about my background, I was actually on the other side of the perspective from a very long time that in my mind, the only folks who had guns were either criminals and cops. Right. That's where my background came from, to be honest with you. Um, roughly... 10 years ago or so, um, something clicked in my head um, after I have gone to the range with a couple of friends, actually one really close friend who I had, I had known him my whole entire life, never knew he was a gun owner, and uh, out of the blue kind of asked me, hey, you want to go to the shooting range? And again, I kind of had that disgust towards guns, but again, somebody that I deeply, deeply trusted, and I was like, you know what, he wouldn't put me in harm's way or do or asked me to do something dangerous and whatnot. And he took me out there and kind of showed me that, hey, this is just a object and a tool. Uh, and it also put a smile on my face. It was a lot of fun. Uh, shortly after that, something clicked in my head that said, hey, you know what? That you tool can actually be really you. effective. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's something that's really effective. And, um, you know, I've always had 
this sense of responsibility to take care of my family. You know, we have first aid kits, we have other emergency devices. And I was like, well, having a gun and knowing how to use it in a defensive scenario really uh, could be really useful, especially since I'm getting older. And while I am a big guy and had done some martial arts in my life, but, you know, never really had to defend myself using that. But I was like, you know what, this probably isn't a good idea. Let me get into this. Um, And from there, you know, in the last 10 years, I'm trying to leave it to my background before we get into the topic. Um, I started out with uh, a pistol getting into into concealed carry and carried for years uh, with a lot of, uh, what's the word here, confident ignorance. Right. Um, I knew how to shoot. I had my gun. I had my permit. had it in the holster, and I thought I was perfectly fine until – took an intermediate class, um, and we can get into that later as to why, why I did that, and realized, you know what, I really don't know as much as I thought I did, mm-hmm. and there's a huge gap of knowledge that I really want to want to cover. And so for the last three years, I've gotten, taken a lot of training. Uh, I, think I've, I think I'm now up to about approaching 60 hours worth of training time. Um, I've shot competitively. I also got into different... Uh, applications of firearms, gotten a long-range shooting, have made, you know, thousand-yard shots, uh, gotten to hunting, learned about the rifle, have been uh, trained now using a, a uh, uh, urban rifle or a modern rifle, but basically an AR-15 platform, uh, started tinkering, and even because of that process, decided to start my own blog to share that knowledge and that learning path to kind of help guide people who are either on the fence or just gotten started, don't realize that they don't know what they don't know, uh, to hopefully light enough spark and enough interest to take it beyond just gun ownership and thinking that that's enough to keep you safe. Right. That's me in a nutshell. Awesome. I think um, purchasing your your first firearm is a pretty big decision. Um, There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. I'm wondering, what do you think, if I'm somebody that's like, okay, I want to start – for concealed carry, let's talk about weapons. What what do you think the the best or some of the best guns could be for someone who's just getting started with owning a, a weapon? Okay, so um, I think a couple things that need to be clarified. Um, I I agree with you. I think most people when they think I'm ready to buy a gun because of civil unrest or things that are going on, I'm just feeling unsafe. I finally realized that. It's going to take, you know, 10 minutes or more for uh, emergency response to arrive to my house or wherever I'm at um, f- after an event that really only lasts a matter of minutes, mm-hmm. maybe seconds. Uh, people immediately jump to the pistol. Uh, and I think it's important for folks to know, especially if they're on the fence, that they're actually – the pistol's great. It's highly portable, and that's what makes it – you know, it's easy to carry, easy to conceal, easy to keep with you. Um, definitely what people – choose to take out into public after they get their uh, permit, if they're in a place that requires a permit, or without one if you're in a constitutional carry state nowadays. Uh, But it is also the most difficult platform to develop proficiency with. Um, And I think a lot of people don't realize that, and I think it's important for them to keep in mind, because if they are just concerned for uh, self-defense at home, they're not really worried about taking that into public right now. That's not their primary concern. I'm going to steer them to a, a, an AR platform all day and every day because 
the operation is essentially the same as a modern pistol, uh, so it takes about the same amount of effort to learn how to operate it, but the level of effort and time that it takes to actually become proficient with it, meaning hit a target and uh, fast and quickly without missing, which is important marksmanship, it's a mu- it takes a lot less effort, and it's a much lower learning curve. So right. I just want to put that out there for, for people that are going, well, I really just want one for the home. Go this way. Go for, go right. for the rifle. Uh, if you're going to take it out in public, yeah, obviously the pistol makes sense. So what is the best pistol? Okay, short okay, answer. Okay, so time out before you go forward. Yep. So I think that that's what, for anybody who's listening who is, you know, kind of been on the fence or wanting to get into owning a weapon, I think the very first question you need to ask yourself is why are you buying a weapon? Are you Correct. buying it for you know, concealed carry for defense outside of the home, or are you purchasing it for defense inside the home? Are you trying to buy it for hunting? Like, what what are you actually purchasing the weapon for? I think that's a very – you need to have a clear reason of why you're purchasing it, not just to go out and buy one. I think that that is a very valid point, and I'm glad that you brought it up. So let's do both. We'll We'll talk about concealed carry, and then we'll talk about home defense. So sure. let's do concealed carry first. Give me talk. Sure five weapons that you think that are good? Uh, Glock 19, Glock 19, Glock 19 times two more. <laughs> uh, so, so well, I, I can take that step back to it. I say that, but I say that generically, right? It's it's, it's a uh, duty-sized nine-millimeter pistol, uh, double-stacked. Uh, and I'm actually going to say the, the common thing that I hear, and I can take a step back because there's a couple schools of thought on this that, that I've subscribed to, and uh, that I agree to, that I think about. But when, we, when somebody tells me the best, I look at the complete weapon system, meaning what's available in the market in terms of ho- uh, holster options and carry options, right? I want something that's going to be supported. Uh, nine millimeter, by and large, is considered to be the right level of cartridge that is effective enough for uh, defensive situations, and yet the recoil is low enough that the learning curve is is softened a little bit to become proficient with this weapon. Um, now, the the so that's when we're looking at it from best in terms of weapon system. It's going to be something along those lines. Me personally, right. I carry an H and K VP9, um, and this I didn't go the Glock route and whatnot because we get into the other aspect of it, which is how well does the gun fit your hand. And I'm not talking about in terms of comfort. Comfort. I'm talking in terms of ability to operate it effectively right. and efficiently. Um, and then there's a few different options. The Smith and Wesson uh, Shield, um, M&P Shield in nine millimeter, good option. Uh, again, I'm not talking about the subcompact one. I'm talking about the full size one. Right. Uh, obviously, the Glock 19 was the first one that I mentioned. The Glock 48 is great. Uh, Walther makes a, a, a good option in, in this size. There's a lot of them that fit in here, but I went with the Glock as the the right out of the gate because even though that's not what I carry, that's the most widely supported gun in the market for all the other factors and how you're going to carry it, uh, accessories, that seems to be the sweet spot as far as that goes. Okay. On the flip side of the coin, though, um, I understand Glock 19 or full-size duty pistol is a larger weapon, uh, which means sometimes it's a little bit bulkier, not as comfortable, and if you're going to buy a Glock 19 and just leave it at home when you were concerned about having a weapon with you when you go outside, well, it's useless because you're not going to have it with you when you need it. Right. So with that said, there is another school of thought that I kind of go along with this, which is one, you got to start with a weapon you're going to carry. Sure. 
right, which might be a smaller handgun. And then we can look at the Glock 43, the 43X, the Sig P365. There's a couple of different options. I'm also kind of sticking in the nine millimeter range. You can get into some of the smaller 380s, and that's fine. But it's got to be something you're going to carry. From that, the next thing comes up. It's out of those that you're willing to carry, what give what can you actually shoot effectively? And again, this gets hard as a new concealed carrier because you really haven't shot shot a lot of these. But one of the biggest problems with the smaller guns that tend to be more comfortable to carry is they're actually harder to shoot. Yeah, so you're already starting with a, with a platform that's difficult to be proficient with and handicap yourself even further by looking at a gun that has a lot more recoil than a larger pistol with because of wood because of the weight. Uh, okay. You also have smaller controls, less surface area to get a good grip on and, and really drive that weapon efficiently. So you know, you've got to weigh that out. So look at the guns you're willing to carry. I'd say go with the bigger one with a cartridge you can handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't make the mistake that I did, which, again, my first gun was a smaller, subcompact, single stack, 45 ACP. Wow. So I'm looking at a lot. And we can get into that to why did I make all those mistakes? Well, machismo came into it i want the biggest cartridge that makes the biggest hole <laughs> i want something small that i can carry oh look this is nice and fits nicely i could even fit this in a pocket if i wanted to right uh without taking all of those other factors into consideration i carried right. it for years passed my qualification exam for my carry permit with it but every time i went to the range i was like i really don't like shooting this yeah which also means i didn't practice and didn't train so lots of things to consider i steer people towards that duty size pistol because that seems to be the sweet spot in terms of learning it becoming proficient can still carry it but if you're going to leave it at home okay deviate from that and find something that's going to work for you i think what i love about you is you're always learning while sharing the knowledge that you gain and i think that that's a very admirable quality to not pretend that you know everything already but you. you also have people within that community who are giving bad advice or giving bad information or not practicing the things that they preach, like their conceal, like where their weapon placement is, where their holsters are. Like there's so many mistakes that are made and then they're supposed to be the experts, which then create more people who are not doing the right mm-hmm. things. Um, let's talk a little bit about the different ways that you can conceal carry, some of the different positioning of the weapons and what you think works best for certain individuals. Okay. Um, I'm in inside the waistband guy at on my strong side at the I guess it's the three o'clock position. Okay. Right, that's right smack on, on a square on my side. Um this is probably one of the most common ones, especially if people do outside the waistband carry. That's typically where it goes. We call that strong side carry. Mm-hmm. Um I think majority of people I've seen at competitions and majority of the people that I've seen in the training classes that's where they're that where I see them carry um, it's a good spot because it's e- relatively easy to get the weapon uh, to the weapon when you need to draw it from various positions it's not optimal there's always going to be some certain situations or certain positions that you're going to find yourself in where it's kind of hard to get to the weapon yep that's, right. there, there's no Silver bullet here, it's one of the options. It's a common one. It tends to work for a lot of people with uh, a wide variety of body types, body types and size. I mean, all that comes into play. 
Sure. Um, appendix carry inside the waistband, AIWB, um, is definitely one that I see a growing, um, I don't want to just call it trend because I think it's here to stay. It's valid. Uh, a lot of it, the, the uh, pros use it. And I'm also looking at, you know, what are the qualified trainers that I've trained with? How do they carry? Um, I'd say out of the folks that I've trained with, almost 70% now do uh, appendix carry. Uh, inside the waistband, um, it's faster draw time, um, can definitely be safe to carry in that position with a good high quality hol- uh, holster. Uh, drawback again is I think it, it caters to or it's better for specific body types. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us that are a little bit older and have let ourselves go more than we probably should have and have a lot of extra uh, baggage around the midsection, uh, <laughs> it's Probably, to be if I'm being quite honest, that's why I haven't switched to uh, appendix carry, and I still do strong side. It's um, it's it's how I train. It's what I'm familiar with, but it's also how I can do it uh, comfortably. And I think that's also something we need to talk about here is comfort. It's not going to be – there's always going to be some discomfort. You're carrying a large metal object that you're going to use – a tool that you're going to use to defend yourself with. It's going to create a little bit of discomfort, but you're going to try to find the most comfortable out of the uncomfortable things that you're doing to yourself when you're carrying this thing. Right. Um, beyond that, we get into pocket carry with smaller guns. Um, again, keep, holster is going to be key. Uh, there's a lot of drawbacks to that from in terms of ease of being able to access the weapon when you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, we haven't even really talked talked about the draw itself, but depending on how you carry, uh, like shoulder carry, I'm going to use this as an example, um, if you're not really consciously thinking about where that muzzle's pointed as it's being drawn out, you might be sweeping people with a loaded gun as you're bringing that gun to the target to bear. Right. right so those are the things to kind of consider. Um, Off-the-body carry is definitely a topic that in the community uh, people will – they'll drag you through the mud. Why are you carrying off-body? That's a bad thing. You know, you got to keep it on your person. Right. But, again, reality is that – for a person who wears a loose-fitting T-shirt or shirt over the pants untucked and typically wears shorts with a belt and pants or pants, yeah, carrying off your belt makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, well, we've talked about that personally before. Like, I wear a dress 95% of the time, and it's just there's no real super great way to carry in that position. Yeah, it's it's – it's a challenge, I'm not, and I'm not going to pretend to be able to give advice to uh, folks who don't wear uh, shorts or pants with a belt and a T-shirt because, I mean, I can go as far as, yeah, I've, I've had to wear the, the uh, monkey suit for work sometimes with a tucked-in <laughs> shirt and whatnot, and I've thought about, uh, you know, shoulder carry. But, yeah, you know what? Here in Texas where I live, it gets hot, and you're going to be taking that jacket off, so it's not going to be concealed anymore. Right. So what options do you have? Well, you know what? I've, I've pocket-carried. It's not ideal. It's not great. It was a smaller gun, but it was better than leaving what I had at home. Right. Uh, um, sure. And yeah, but uh, there's, there's, again, it's striking the balance between what's optimal and what leaves you defenseless. Sure. Okay. okay. That filter enigma. I know we've talked about that a little bit before. It has me really yeah. intrigued because that opens up the options for folks that, I really, I, I keep looking at it and I keep wanting to get it, but I, I just haven't, haven't bit the bullet on that one yet. 
Yeah. It's almost like I want someone else that I personally know to try it first before I do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I've, I've, once I get, I'm, I'm buying one. The issue that I had is every time that I got the in-stock notifications for it, it was sold out. And I have yet to get one and actually be in stock, but I'm definitely buying at least two. One, because I want to try it. Uh, but I've got other members in the household who uh, don't regularly wear pants or shorts with belts. Um, right. They'd rather wear sweatpants or uh, gym shorts or a dress from time to time. Um, so definitely, definitely going to get my hands on one and give that a go and a fair shake and see how it goes. But it's 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 definitely got me intrigued and excited about the possibilities of having folks switch to a position that is more a carry position that is more optimal for defensive situations sure. without having to dress around the gun. Yeah. So let's talk, let's move into, we're going to get into actual mechanics in just a minute, but I want to, I still want to stay on, you know, we're, we're walking into the store. What are some, maybe some questions that we need to ask or some things that we need to think about? So we've been thinking about what position we want to carry in. You've mentioned holsters multiple times. Let's talk about possibly what cost we'd be looking at. So we're going to go get a Glock. We're going to get a holster. Now we need to possibly consider, well, not possibly, we need to schedule some training to use the weapon. So as a first-time gun owner, what would I be looking at from a cost perspective on, you know, what I need to purchase right now? Sure. So uh, obviously the handgun starts there. Uh, Budget, $500 to $800 for for, for, uh, a good quality handgun. Um, there's less expensive options. Sometimes they're on sale, given the current market conditions. Good luck. Um, but that's what, that's what we need to budget realistically. Um, you can get definitely more expensive than that, but that's around that starting range that I would recommend. Uh, second thing, your holster. Budget about $100. And don't buy it at the gun store. Just don't. There's You're going to want something specifically made for that firearm, for the carry position that you choose. Um but yep, hundred, hundred and twenty dollars is probably what you're looking at for a good inside the waistband holster. Maybe a little bit less for something that goes uh, outside of the uh, outside of the waistband, depending on on what you get and who makes it and what they got going on. Um, beyond that, uh, for, especially if you're going to be using a belt to carry, budget another hundred bucks for a good belt. Uh, belt is the foundation that everything is built on. It's got to be able to hold your gun. It's hold the weight of that plus additional ammunition plus whatever else you decide to carry on your belt. So a good carry belt is going to be uh, something that we need to budget for. Then as far as training goes, th- there's a wide range, but I generally suggest that folks uh, budget for about the same same amount that they spent on the gun to budget the same amount for training. Uh, and that's just for paying the training class we've even t- gotten into into ammunition and with the cost today. That's going to add up a little bit. I think with today's costs, budget $500 for a class and another $700 for 1,000 rounds of ammunition, maybe 800 So you're looking at another $1,200 bucks, mm-hmm. uh, to $1,300 for, for that initial training class. Uh, now, that might be split up across – that's typically what, what a two-day weekend class is going to require in terms of cost and ammunition. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be split up into four half-day classes or – uh, two one day classes depending on 
what route you go um, and the training programs that are available in your area. Oh, and the one thing that uh, was often overlooked, a way to secure the weapon at home. And the price range on this is going to depend. Um, you know, obviously the consideration is if you have, uh, well, if you were like I was when I was a kid, I got into everything I wasn't supposed to. Uh, right. Because what you're not allowed to do is very exciting and, and fun and attractive. So you're going to want to lock that up. Now, it could be as simple as the free uh, trigger lock that comes with it just to make sure that it can't be used. Um, but then you also get into how do you keep it from being stolen if there's a home invasion and that kind of thing. So at the very least, I'd say plan on spending one to $200 on a small handgun safe. Um, we talked about the uh, number of firearms sales and backgrounds checks that are going on right now. And the reality is that most gun owners that I know don't have just one weapon. So I right. might suggest to maybe budget a little bit more for a larger safe. As big as you can buy, um, based on what you can afford, is what I typically recommend. I've gone through a few. I went through the route again, mistakes that I made. I bought a handgun safe. Cool, that was good for about a month. Um, right. So then I bought a larger <laughs> safe that I could put some long guns in and a couple of handguns. And I've got a, you know, again, that's what I could afford at the time, and I didn't think I was going to need much else. Actually, I probably could have afforded a little more. Got a 12 gun safe. That lasted for about. I want to say I bought three safes in my first year as a gun owner. Wow. And in your first year? <laughs> what's that? In your first year? In my in, in my first year. It, it literally was. So talking about safes, right, it's you get the long gun safe. You know, we're talking about the, the ones that stand upright and whatnot. And when they get marketed as the small ones, right, this is a 12-gun safe. That's literally one of the smaller ones that you're going to find, long, skinny, not very tall. Um, and I think you probably could put 12 guns in there if none of them had optics and you stacked them on top of each other. Right. Um, once you start adding optics and, oh, it's an AR and all of a sudden it's wider and the angles that come in, uh, honestly, that gun felt full at about five guns, five long guns. Right. Um, and, yeah, in my first year, trying to put a couple, you know, I think I'm trying to remember my first year. Got an AR, got a bolt action rifle, got a uh, shotgun, um, had a couple of handguns. And again, this was because, oh, I don't like this. I want something different. I want to do this and just trying different things. Right. Um, none of these were very expensive guns. A lot of them were, were very low entry level. Some of them were pawn shop specials, but trying different things. And then even in that first year, uh, my wife and I kind of said, you know what? We probably should teach our kids. So we got a couple of 22 long rifle rifles and handguns to start teaching them about gun safety and marksmanship and all those kinds of things. And before I knew it, I was like, I can't fit anything else in here, and there's more that I want to get. Um, So, yes, the third safe was a the biggest one I could find at my local um, outfitter, which was a 64-gun safe. Mm -hmm. And that one's lasted me now. Several years, uh, but it's full, and now I'm looking at another (laughs) another one. (laughs) Um, Are there any other – I think a lot of people get caught up in all of the bells and whistles and things like that, but are there any, like, must-purchase accessories that you think that someone might need to get for their weapon or 
um, like sites or grips or any of those types of things? I... And if the answer is no, the answer is no. I'm just asking yeah. if you think there is. I think there's a lot of value in those upgrades. Um, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of those myself. I do keep a weapon-mounted light on, on, on my carry pistol and the home defense pistol and the home defense rifle um, and whatnot. I have upgraded sights. Um, actually, I'm a big fan of red dot uh, sights on pistols now. Um, but, you know, if we talk about essentials, about I want to get a gun to defend myself with and become proficient I don't think they're um, – I'm probably going to get dragged for saying this by some of my friends. I, I don't think they're absolute must-haves to get started. Right. Um, I would say that – I would agree with you. I have a strong opinion that you should get them at some point, but I'd say you're probably better served in spending the money on getting good with it first right. than starting to accessorize it. I agree. I think there are a lot of people who – they purchase their weapon, they, they go through maybe their qualification class or something like that, and then they're like, okay, well, now I'm ready to carry a gun everywhere I go. And they don't realize, and they buy all of these accessories and all of the things, and they don't realize that they could have put that money towards training and they'd be much more proficient. So mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. Tr tr so tr we might both get dragged. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. We'll, we'll be dragged together. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I didn't do it now when I, when I really looked at it, I'm like, if I was doing it all over again, right? We talked about, uh, uh, you know, 500, 800 bucks for, for, for a gun, $100 for the holster, another $1,200 in training, uh, you know, a safe is kind of being your, your, and your belt as being the essential things that you need to kind of get started with. Right. Um, I would, tell people not to look at it as $1,200 for your training, but that that's a, a recurring cost. You need, you're going to need to spend money on that. Um, so get that into your budget to happen as frequently as you can. How often can you do $1,200? If that's once a year, great. If that's once every other year, okay. If you can do that, you know, once every three months, even better, right? But get that right. in your head that that needs to be a recurring expense, but you're going to do that because pistol skills – they're not just hard to 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 achieve a high level of proficiency with, but it's also a very perishable skill. Right. So, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of training. I understand it's expensive, but having somebody else give you uh, objective feedback of what they're doing, what they're observing you do. Um, yes, we are our own worst critics, but we tend to focus on hyper focus on a couple little things that we can see from the perspective that we see as a shooter, not as an instructor or coach looking in, kind of going, hey. You could probably try this. You should try that. Tweak this. Try and, and just things that you're not seeing. There's just a lot of value in that to help mm -hmm. you level up. Um, and that's just training. Then let's talk practice, which is buying ammunition to get out to do live fire as regularly as you can afford to do so. Uh, right. Because recency is key in trying to to not let your skills perish. Um, my my. Over the last two years, my favorite thing to do was attend at least a uh, once a month get out to a local IDPA match. Okay. And then on the weekends that I don't go, just take up 50-round box of ammo. Again, right now with, with it being expensive, that's kind of my, my sweet spot of getting out to the range once a week and shooting just a little tiny bit of ammo. If I could do more, I can do more. But recency is uh, 
way more important than uh, quantity, right? So I can only afford to shoot 200 rounds a month because that's what my budget currently allows. It's better to do that, you know, 50 rounds over four weeks than 200 rounds once a month. Right. Makes sense. Let's talk about home defense now. Sure. We're shifting gear. Well, hold on. I want to, you mentioned training. Are there any other, are there any specific training schools or programs that you would highly recommend for a first time gun owner? Or do you think, you know, just whoever you can get in with locally, are there specific places that you would recommend over others? I'm learning a lot about that um, right now. One of the first trainers that I had, the first class that I took where I realized I didn't really know anything, um, he actually turned out to be, now that I can look back at it, that I've trained with different people, he's actually probably not a very good trainer. Right. He probably did a couple safety violations that I should have noticed, but I was so hyper-focused on this guy knows more than I do, so anything he does must be golden Sure. Uh, kind of mentality that it was hard for me to see that. So. Not all trainers or instructors are necessarily good, um, but it's going to be, it's going to depend on who they are, what training they've had, what they've done, uh, and it's going to be dependent definitely on your geographic location or where you can travel to. There's definitely some that I recommend. I love KR training here in Texas. I think they're, they're a fantastic school. They've got some really good trainers. There's some amazing traveling trainers uh, that are good to keep an eye on and see if they ever come near your area to try to get into their classes. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the things that I'm looking for now today in a trainer are, um, frankly, I don't care if you were law enforcement or military before. I think that definitely gives you some value, but that's not what I'm concerned with. I'm concerned with your ability to teach and the skills that you're teaching and whether you can do it safely. So what am I looking for? Um, frankly, do you compete? Yeah, right? are you, you using IDPA? the bill on a regular basis? Yep. Yeah. Right. And, and some folks might say, well, that doesn't necessarily translate into home defense. Yeah, cool, right. But the very first thing before we get into tactics and whatnot is can you actually operate the gun safely and can you shoot it and can you hit a target? Well, right. that's what competitors do. So if you're telling me you're competing IPSC, USPSA, IDPA, my next question is how often do you compete? Yeah. What uh, 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 division and class are you competing with? So are you, you know, if, if you're uh, shooting at, against top level competitors and yeah i know you can do it safely and that you can do it well and that's what and that's what your basic classes really are are your basic mechanics uh your fundamentals safely right right so that's probably something that 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 i look for and then i also look at well what other training have you received and once you've kind of done this for a little while there's definitely trainers and names that you're looking for like oh okay cool um you know i i think very highly of uh tom givens and uh uh his training school which is a um Range master, range masters. I can't think of it off the top of my head. It's either with an S or not. Uh, but they're, you know, based out of Tennessee, if I recall correctly, and they have an instructor certification program. So when I see a, you know, range master certified instructor, I'm like, okay, this is probably definitely that carries a lot of weight and value with me. Other than, you know, I had 25 years retired LEO. Right. Okay. I might. Have- <laughs> I might actually have better, you know, given the last two years that I've really looked into this and uh, actually shot and competed with some folks who are in law enforcement who've been there for 20, 25 years, kind of going, yeah, I might actually know more than you just because that's all you have on your resume. And that doesn't carry a lot of weight with me anymore. Sure. If I were, because I think that's part of the problem. Somebody hears you saying what to look for, but how do I go to Google and just type in Range Master Certified Training Course or yeah, like you, uh, 
So the the the, the very first thing is, is you're going to start with the Googles, right? It's firearms training near me, right? And to see right. who's out there putting it out there and who, who, who's uh, doing that. Next up is take a look at their reviews. Um, th- those aren't necessarily always good. Sometimes you get somebody who had a bad ex- experience with a really, really good trainer. Okay, there's maybe a little bit of value, but that's that's a good thing. If you see, you know, thousands of low reviews, probably right. not a good place probably to go. Thousands sure. of great reviews. Okay, probably worth a uh, – or thousands of great reviews with some moderate reviews, maybe one or two bad reviews, probably worth giving them a call um, and looking them up. And then from there, um, I do think calling them and asking those questions yeah. is, okay, well, tell me, are you Range Master certified? What certifications do you hold? Uh, they might have a website and they might have that listed. Cool. That, that's good. Uh, the nice thing about them actually being act, an active competitor is a lot of times you can ask for their IDPA number and you can actually okay. go and look and make sure that they're actually certified, or not certified, but classified at the level that they say that they're that they're competing in that's sure. available there right so yeah you know if they don't have that list call them and ask and if they're not willing to give that to you probably don't need to book a class with them i i wouldn't spend my money there i i'd start looking for another one <laughs> yeah. but to be honest uh you know depending on where you're at you might not have a lot of options and from that perspective then i might fall back a little bit more on the reviews and be like okay if we had a high number of people who were good and the negative reviews were uh, you know, that dude was mean uh, or that person was mean and they weren't safety concerned reviews. And I'd say you, that's probably a good starting point because they they likely have more knowledge than you do as an absolute beginner. And you can pick up some things and it gives you a good starting point uh, to start building on. Right. Um, just uh, th- there's a lot of variables depending on where you're at. Um, if you are going to have to travel far anyway, because there are no options near you be way more selective because you're going to make a much larger investment into that, right? Because sure. now you've got travel, lodging, aside from, from the the, uh, the ammunition costs. Um, I think another common place where people look at somebody and they assume that they're an expert is um, the guy behind the, ca- the counter at the gun store, right? Especially if you go to right. a gun store that has a range attached, you're like, oh, yeah, we do training. Cool. Sure. Um, or they start making suggestions of, no, this is the gun that you want. Okay, well, why? And why are you qualified to tell me this? Yeah. Question it. Uh, you're, you're making an investment, a large investment for the majority of us, uh, into an expensive tool that you're gonna, you're going to possibly, that your life is possibly going to depend on. Right. Question it. Question it. Question it. Um, and if you're not sure what to ask, uh, again, I always put myself out there. Hit me up on Twitter or whatever. Drop me a DM if you don't want to do it publicly um, or via my website. There's a contact form on there. Those emails go directly to me. Nobody else sees them but me. Ask, Let me know what you're looking yeah. for and what questions you should be asking. I'm happy to help you. That's what I love about you. You've always been really good about answering questions, and you don't belittle people. You don't demean them. You're You're very good about sharing your knowledge. A lot of people are not like that. They're like, well, fend for yourself. I'm interested about you. Like, there are a lot of people that rise in this culture and then don't utilize the knowledge that they've gained to help other people. And um, you, Citizen Hush, there are a lot of you out there who your goal is to make sure that as many people are able to defend themselves as possible. And that's what I really appreciate about you. I'll, I'll be completely – yes, I care about that a lot too. I also care that people are having fun. 
this is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, gun gun ownership is such a serious thing and safety and all that. I completely, completely agree. Agree. It's a serious thing. We need to treat it seriously. But man, if you can have fun doing it. Yeah. Heck yeah. Okay. Let's shift gears. Let's go home defense. I, I cannot, over the course of the last probably three or four weeks with, and I mean, I know it's constant, but the barrage of individuals who enjoy getting on Twitter and Facebook and wherever to spew out all of their input on <laughs> the best way to defend yourself in your home is either don't defend yourself or a shotgun is the only thing you need in your house or and, and for some reason buckshot's not going to kill anybody. Like it's just the amount of bad information coming out there is almost insurmountable at this point. But talk to me about if you were a first-time home defense gun owner, what would you recommend? Yeah, AR all day, every day. Um, and I'd go shorter, as, as not necessarily the shortest, the best. So th- there's, again, that was kind of like my short answer, right? But there's a lot of caveats to this. Right. Um the reality is is that we have i'm going to say three different classes of weapons that we can effectively employ um for self defense in the home uh you know we we spent a lot of time talking about the handgun you know what the handgun in the right hands at home will get the job done right it will right uh the and the, the, it, but every single one of these weapons has a set of disadvantages and advantages, right? We talked a lot about the pistol for going out in the public. Well, why? Because it's highly portable, right? right? Ballistically, it's the least effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the ranges that a self-defense encounter uh, will happen, including in the home, it'll work. It'll do the job. Right. But it does require a high level of skill to employ effectively. Um, I go with the rifle because at the same time, the, the rifle, from a ballistic perspective, it's the most effective. Um, so I, I, I get that some people will argue that buckshot with a shotgun at those distances is probably more effective than a single uh, rifle round. Yeah, that's true. I'm not going to argue that. It'll take a chunk out of somebody real quick, and that yeah. will definitely incapacitate a threat very effectively. Um, but at the same time, Shotguns tend to be extremely long in length, so trying to manipulate one of those and, and employ it effectively in close quarters around the home when you're trying to get around hallways and you've got doorways and, th- and those kinds of things, right. that can be challenging. You've also got limited capacity. Now you've got the recoil factor, right? Re- right. And that can't be taken lightly. 12-gauge shotguns kick. Okay, well, then go ahead and use a 410. Okay, well, you've given, also up, given up a lot of uh, ballistic capability and have other considerations in play. Will a 410 work? Yeah, absolutely. But shotgun, so kind of getting, getting I, I don't want to get off topic asking what was the best. I go with the rifle because the number of variables that are involved is low. So right. the learning curve is also low, and it's a highly effective weapon um, that, you know, even under pressure can be done. And with the carbine lengths, you know, 16-inch rifles that we have available to us, they're they're, and if we go into an AR pistol, we can get even shorter and still have an effective uh, cartridge hit that makes it easier to uh, to employ that weapon in around corners or in most hallways, the doorways, the things that we just talked about. It, it's a much more stable shooting position. The recoil is low, and it's going to be effective. So you've got a low learning curve, high effectiveness, 
um, especially under stress, having a, a more stable shooting platform is going to be preferable in the home. So I'm going – and now we don't have to worry so much about portability and concealability. That, that to me, is the best place for the average person with a low level of knowledge to start. And, again, I don't want to crap on the shotgun because it's not bad. It's just there's so many myths, and people are like, oh, it's so simple. It's just this thing. You load it. You don't even have to aim it. And there's just so much bad information that people take right. as gospel that I'm just like, I don't think you, Well, I mean, people say that, who aren't, aren't actually shooting that are, are dispelling this information. And, and they might actually be shooting a lot, but they don't necessarily know what they're talking about in terms of self-defense, or they really right. haven't thought about the different, again, people who might be employing this. Um, a large 200, 250-pound man shooting a shotgun, well, the recoil there is because they've got so much weight behind them and, and in their stature and everything else, it's a lot easier for a person of that size to manage than a 110-pound woman or an 80 pound kid right and, and again we're talking about the home a kid might need to defend themselves i know that's a, that's a whole different topic and there's some whole other considerations some people are like no way why would you ever let a kid handle a gun or have access to a firearm well you won't hear that argument from me i think it's really <laughs> important for kids to be not only just educated on gun safety but able to utilize the weapon themselves what if i'm taken out first if what have, have you taken out first? Yep. What are their home alone? I mean, there's a right. whole, whole, and there's also some legal considerations because there are laws saying that, you know, allowing a minor to have access to a weapon, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's there. But the reality is that when people are spouting that stuff up about the shotgun, they haven't considered all those other factors. Well, guess sure. what? My kids from a young age have been able to shoot an AR rifle effectively out to 100 yards and hit targets that are, you know, two inches in size out that far. Right. And they um, can handle that kickback. They can handle the kick. Uh, they enjoy it, right? They, 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 there's, again, the enjoyment factor. Um, my same kids, they've also shot the shotguns, and they enjoy it. But they're not necessarily as good or as capable with it as they would be with an AR platform rifle. Right. Um, and then we get into just the learning curves of the ammunition there's just, there's just so many variables in a shotgun. So, you know, when you kind of take all of that together in terms of we're talking about home defense tactics, in terms about limitations on the weapon, about all the variables uh, that are available today with ammunition, you have a very complex system that's hard to learn and hard to employ. Will right. it work? Yes. If you've made the right choices and have the right training and have the skills to surround it, it will put a threat down without question. Right but it's not going to be the easiest to learn. Sure. Just touching briefly on training for, I think it's important that just because you've trained with possibly a pistol, it's important that you understand that that training doesn't translate always to your rifle training. And so I think that it's important that people understand that they need to train with all the weapons, not just go shoot one and, and be done with it. That's a fair and valid point. Um, I do think, I mean, talking about the difficulty of attaining a high level of skill and proficiency with those weapons, um, a good pistol shooter can become a good rifle shooter with very little effort. The opposite is not true. Right. 
Um, but there is, uh, you know, talk, talking about training, um, I think if you're, especially when we're talking about close distance um, encounters, if, if you've learned and mastered the pistol, maybe not mastered, but have gotten good with the pistol, mm-hmm. you're not going to have a hard time getting the mechanics and the fundamentals down and being a good shooter with a, a um, with a rifle. Um, I, st- I still think there's value in doing that, but I might skip that basic, basic level class and start looking more at intermediate level stuff, specifically around employment of those weapons in self-defense and home environments. Right? Right. Now we're talking about getting better skilled with tactics for those things and, and the legal consideration uh, that you have to do, you do have to have for those types of encounters. Um, but that said, I wouldn't completely um, avoid an intermediate level type course just on the mechanics and on the skills of actually shooting that because they are different. So, you know, like one of the examples um, that that I like to use here is, you know, with a pistol, especially if we're talking about modern striker-fired pistol, you don't have any active safeties to really worry about. All of the safeties that you're going to be dealing with are going to be passive. So as long as you've gripped it and you got your trigger on the trigger and there's ammo in the gun, it's going to run. And right. you really don't have to think of it much else. You want it to go safe, take your finger off the trigger, you're done. With an AR, it's different. Yeah. You're really not going to take that that uh, safety selector off into the fire position until you're ready to make that shot, right? right? And as soon as you're coming off that target, that safety comes back on. And that has to do with the weapon design. There's also the 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 fact that typically on a pistol, especially we're talking that striker fired polymer pistol, you've got a six pound trigger. It takes a lot of, of it takes conscious effort to pull that trigger and make it go bang. On a rifle, and we're talking about a two pound less than a two-pound weapon with a six-pound trigger pull. On a rifle, you're talking about a six-pound, eight-pound weapon with a two- to three-pound trigger pull. It doesn't take a lot of effort uh, right. to do that. So, yeah, get that booger hook off the trigger. That's the first way to make it safe, put that safety back on because it doesn't take much to have that trigger be pulled. Right. Um, that's a different – that's one of the examples of the skills required to shoot a pistol are going to be different than the operation of the rifle that you want to get down for those encounters and to be proficient with it and mainly to be just to be even safe with it. Are there any organizations that you would recommend that people who are starting to get into, let's say, gun culture, that they should become members of or that they should follow or that they should contribute to? Do you endorse any specific organizations um, that, that people should participate in? Yes, I say that with a little bit of hesitancy because there's there's a lot of opinion there. Um, the the ones that I typically go to at the national, well, I'm gonna even take a step back. Depending on how much budget you have to support and become membership stuff, because again, you're talking about annual membership fees or monthly donations and those kinds of things. Nice. I tend to encourage people to find their local organizations first that work at their local level because those laws, those local laws are going to be what affects you the most first initially. Um, Such a smart faster at the local levels. Yep. So, you know, for me, uh, that's the uh, uh, Texas State Rifle Association is the one that works at the state level. Really haven't found one that look, that works within uh, at the city level. Um, yeah, maybe I just haven't really yet. But, uh, you probably don't have one at your city level. <laughs> yeah, well, and for most states, and maybe I shouldn't say most, but at least in Texas, uh, there's some preemption laws that basically limit uh, firearms-related regulations that can happen at the city level. 
Right. So that, that's where, where my local organization works. That's typically where I go. They do a pretty good job of keeping me informed and that kind of thing. So that's typically where I'd say start at that local level organization. Um, there's some good ones. There's some bad ones. Do your homework. Find out who's there. Ask around. Talk to other uh, gun owners Ask within the community. Um, you're going to get some varying opinions about who's good, who's not. There's typically in a lot of places, there's multiple state-level organizations. So pick and choose, support as many as you can, start there. Going to the national level, um, actually one of the first ones that, I, that I'm a member of that I'd like to contribute to, which is the uh, American Suppressor Association. You actually don't hear about them much in the culture, but uh, they're pro-hearing protection on the weapon for everybody. And they've been doing as much work as they can in that. I don't think we're going to get a lot of movement in it, but I like what they're doing. And um, I like to throw them a little bit of money uh, whenever I can, and I'm a member of that as well, too. Um, from there, um, I do like the FPC and the GOA. Um, so that's a Firearms Policy Coalition and Gun Owners of America. I do think they do some good job, some really good jobs at fighting and filing lawsuits to help uh, preserve some of our rights and to um basically get rid of and challenge um yeah okay my my, my <laughs> 2a position is going to show here real quick um i don't like gun laws i think they're unconstitutional i think we should get rid of them whatever that's my position hey, I, I think every gun owner is going to agree <laughs> you know my position on all of that i'm yeah. very pro everyone should have a gun so yeah, but I do think, you know, I want to recognize that from that end, I am an absolutist, and that puts me on the fringe as far as that goes. Um, you know, right. there's a lot of uh, people in the center on, on those topics. Yeah. Um, so I just want to be conscious of that because I do know, you know, some neighbors, um, and I do know some, some just friends and folks that have, that have shot with it are kind of like, yeah, I don't think we should completely get rid of all gun laws. Um, I do think we should get rid of some. I think some are unconstitutional, whatever. I tend to be on the, you know, all gun laws are unconstitutional yes. perspective. There's something in, in the middle. And that's where you're going to see some differences in those organizations. Sure. All right. So I think this is a good point to end today's episode. I think I might like to have you back possibly do something together a little bit later figure that out but i'm i would like for you to give your shameless plug for your blog as well as your handles so that people can find you i i have really learned a lot from you in the time that i've been following you and interacting with you so i think i definitely want people to be able to find you so tell them where they can find your blog and where they can find you online sure um so and thank you, you're making me blush and smile when <laughs> all those things. <laughs> uh blog is the easiest. It's just unclezo, unclezo dot com. That's the and from there I've got uh, links to all of the different places where, where I'm available on, on social media. Okay. And you can get a hold of me from the blog or any of the other social media platforms. I'm most active on Twitter. Um the other platforms either I just haven't figured out how to use them properly for growing my audience or maybe I'm just old, I don't know, or maybe just dumb, that's fine too. But yeah, Twitter would be uh Uncle Zoe Guntails is my handle on there because Uncle Zoe was taken and I couldn't think of anything else and that's what I went with when I started my, my <laughs> account on Twitter. Um I am similar handle on Instagram, just Uncle Zoe on um 
I think Facebook, I think, I don't know. Uh, but any of those platforms will work. And again, start at my blog, UncleZo.com. There's links to whatever your preferred social media platform is, and you can find me on those as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. It's been a pleasure having you. I think that a lot of people will have learned a lot from this episode, so thank you so much for that. I appreciate you having me on. Um, definitely do what I can to help. We covered a lot, and I think we just kind of skimmed at the top of we did, and I think that because we can go real deep. Especially when we get into, you know, the actual mechanics of the training and stuff like that. That's why I said I think it might be a really good idea for you and I to possibly team up and do something with some exclusive content later. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we can make that work. Thank you so much, Uncle Zoe. You take care. Have a great day. Thank you for having me on. Take, take care and have a good one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death!